0: Coming up next in The Ziggler Show. If you've seen The Matrix, you remember the spark of the entire movie when Neo takes the blue pill and he ends up in this construct of what he's shown as a made up world. And inside there, he sees himself dressed a certain way and is told he's seen himself as his residual self image. That always stuck with me that's the point. We all have this image of ourselves we believe is simply who we are. It's how we see ourselves. It's our default mode. And this is where we generally live unless something significant happens in our lives to change it. So Victor Sabriakov, Zig Ziglar has talked about him a lot. He was labeled a dunce at 16 by a teacher and he lived the next decade or more believing this until a job test showed he was in fact a genius. So then he believed that too and went on to have many patents and served as the the president of the Mensa Society, for the really smart people. Well, we tend to be what others have said we are and what we've agreed with and seen what we feel like is proof of. Unfortunately, most of us will never have someone say we are a dunce or a genius and we'll just kind of go along being whatever seems to be realistic. And it's up to us to claim what we can be and start seeing ourselves differently. This was the message from my previous episode, number 973 of The Ziggler Show with Anthony Trucks. And in this episode, Tom Ziegler and I Talk through this concept. I actually asked our listeners this question. Thinking of a primary goal or two you have, can you actually see yourself there? Can you envision yourself as the person in that new reality? Or are you just going after it anyway? Examples, things like making so much more money or owning and running a business or being at a certain weight, whatever it might be. And the question didn't get a lot of responses compared to the boatload we often receive. And why I believe is because we don't often take the time and give focus to our desire for progress in regards to envisioning ourselves actually being there. And thus, we often don't make much progress or not as much as we want. Thus, why we give it focus in today's episode. Welcome to The Ziegler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. And in this podcast, we have a simple premise. It's to take the age-old wisdom of self-help and personal development and break it down as to how it relates to our world today, to you today. You can dig in more with each episode at kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to Ziggler and are a coach or want to become one, let the Ziggler family empower you at ziegler.com slash coach leadership program. Now, Tom Ziegler and I discuss how to begin seeing ourselves as the person achieving those aspects of success we desire. Tom, we're just coming off as of this recording the 2022 Winter Olympics, and this idea of envisioning, you know, who we are, what we can do, was so apparent there. Because as you're watching, it can be figure skating. I think I noticed it on one of the freestyle events. You know, where these guys and gals are going down the thing, hitting the ramp and doing all the loop de loops and the whatnot. And it was one of the competitors up at the top. Multiples did this, but it just happened to catch my this one time. And they're just eyes closed going through the motions over and over and over and over. And they're seeing themselves do this. And I know that they do that prior to a move they are trying to learn. You know, they know how to do one flip or whatever, but now they're trying to do three flips or, you know, five flips or whatever they do. And they're envisioning that in their mind over and over and over and over before they do it. You know, and on the freestyle event, they're doing it at their home on skis with wheels in the summer and landing in a pile of foam and whatnot to perfect it. But they're doing it over and over. And again, this brings us back to Anthony's message on identity shift. So here's the goal. But how do I shift my identity? Now, you and I were talking about this before. This is, you know, an essence of the affirmations, the self-taught cards of saying, I am a successful person. I am a punctual person. I, blah, blah. blah. But, you know, I got a couple of things on it, but I wanted to hit hit you with that because I know this is a big part of you, what you teach, what Ziegler teaches, but I just don't see it out there. We talk about goals. We talk about aspirations. We even talk about problems we want to solve and these things that we want to improve in our lives, better in our lives. And we just think, okay, here I am. And you just take action, right? That's the big call. Just take action. And Anthony's saying, yeah, but if you can't see yourself there, and that's what I've experienced. If you can't see yourself there, it's really difficult to actually achieve that. So give me your off the cuff thoughts there. Actually, it's not nothing's off the cuff with you, man. You know this stuff, so go.
1: Yeah. So first off, this just goes back to the number one lesson that I learned from Dad, and that is we get to choose our input. Yeah. We we, we choose what we put into our mind, and so my question is, uh, who do you want to become? What what identity do you want? Where is it that you want to be? And you can start saying, well, gosh, I want this and I want that, and then you say, okay, so what kind of person? What kind of attributes, what kind of qualities does that person have that automatically does that? So I want to be an Olympic gold medalist, right? That's what I want to be. That's what every single one of those athletes that you described did is they said, gosh, my identity is I'm an Olympic gold medal winter winner, right? That's And so how do I have to get there? Well, I got to get the move right. Well, the moves are complicated, you know, four flips and five rotations, whatever they do. <laughs> well, if you have a challenge of seeing yourself completing that, how are you ever going to complete it? So if you can't see it, how are you going to do it? Yeah. Well, there's a really simple, simple process. You first learn how to do one twist. And then you say, okay, I can do a twist. So in your mind, you're doing the twist, right? You're a... I'm doing the twist. And then you just build from there and you say, well, it takes three flips and five twists in order to get the gold medal. I got to land it perfect. And you just build it one note at a time. And you learn how to do the first twist perfectly. And then you learn how to do the second twist perfectly. And then you learn how to do the first and second twist and a flip perfectly. And you just keep building on it. And so every step, every note, every incremental section is getting you closer to that gold medal position on the stand. And then when you're there, when you've done it, when you're ready to go out and execute in your mind, you're doing the whole trick in your head and you're, you're landing it, you're completing it. And then when you do that, that equals gold medal winner. So then I go back to, okay, so we got to choose our input. Here's the quote what you feed your mind determines your appetite. So who am I going to get the input from? And I'm going to go to the best in the world. I'm going to go to people who have gold medals, who've coached gold medal winners, who know how to put the right stuff in the mind. And I'm going to ask them, what did you put in your mind? How did you get there? And then, and then as I build that into my brain, into my life, what you feed your mind determines your appetite. You're just going to want more of it. Yeah. But but the problem is, is that people say, well, that's for them. That's not for me. I would like it, but they never feed their mind anything. And so instead of what goes into your mind by choice,
0: it ends up what goes into your mind by chance. And chance isn't very good these days. Well, and you saying that, who am I getting the input from? Because one of the things as you're talking that I'm thinking about, Tom, is getting, just getting exposure to that type of person, which is why events, you know, right now you guys are getting ready for the coaching summit and going to an event like that. We all, we often talk about that. You know, what's the most valuable thing from going to an event? Is it the content or the people you meet? And you generally hear, gosh, it's the people that I met. Content was great, but the people I met, and I feel like one that doesn't get talked about a lot, but is such a high value is it just ups your frame of reference, You're with these aspiring people. It's the Jim Rohn quote. You become the sum of the five people you hang around most. It's Dan Butner's The Blue Zones. You know, these people are healthier. And how are they healthier? Because they're just in a community that's healthy, makes it easy. Uh, It's it's a blue zone. And it got me thinking, as often is the case, about athletics. Of course, you know, this came from Anthony Truck's uh, message. He's a former pro uh, NFL guy. And we talked a lot about athletics. And this one, you know, I've seen people who want to start, want to get get in shape, want to lose some weight, want to get in shape, and they think, "Okay, I'm going to go run." And they often start doing that on their own, and it's so out of character for them. And especially if they have a sedentary family and friends, it's really out of character. One of the best things that I see and I advocate is go sign up for a 5K, even if you can't run the thing. Just go sign up because when you show up there with 50 people or 5,000 people, depending on where you go, you see people from all walks of life and you see, yeah, these elite runners that you can't really relate to, but then you see people who are often in far worse shape than you are. And they are happy. They're excited. This is the 15th 5K that they have done and they've improved their times. And it just makes it more comfortable to go, gosh, I could be, I can do this. I could, I could even be an athlete. This person is doing really well. And they don't look that much different than I am. This guy's an accountant and this lady's a banker and uh, whatnot. And they're overweight like I am. And yet they're out here doing, it. I can do that. And I really, that's one of my, as you talk about feeding your mind and who to get input from, um, I I like that perspective. That's one of my chief go-tos is just get with a bunch of people who are comfortable in that sphere. And instead of, I've been playing with this lately, Tom, instead of thinking about, I'm going to go against the flow of my norm. Don't, you're not going against the flow. Nobody wants to go against the flow. Just find another flow find the right flow, go in the right direction and jump in that one. So you can belong and you can go with it. You're not fighting, man. You are just in the groove. What do you think?
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I agree. You got to just start. Uh, and that's one of the most frustrating things to me is I will often ask people, they'll say, um, gosh, um, I, I really want to do this. You know, and it, it, it could be uh, starting a business. It could be becoming a coach. It could be uh running a race that they're in no shape or condition to do. I mean, they just, you know, and I said, well, why do you want to do it? And they start giving me some really compelling whys. And I'll say, well, fantastic. Um, Is this a calling for you? Is this a purpose? I mean, is this going to fulfill some bigger purpose? And a lot of times they'll say, yeah, right. But they're still hesitant to go. They're still hesitant to start. And I'll say, well, do you feel that your calling is bigger than you are? And like 95, oh, yeah, it's bigger than me. And I'll go, fantastic. That's the definition of a calling. And here's the good news. Your calling is not meant to fit who you are today, but who God created you to become. And so how do you step into your calling? You learn more. You you just take the first step. And so a lot of times people are like, well, I know I want to be a coach, but I don't know, you know what kind of coach and how often I want to coach and if I want to make a business out of it and blah, 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 blah. Well, here's the thing. What you do is you step into it and you say, I need to learn what it means to be a coach. Because the reality is if you've got coaching skills <laughs> – you don't have to be a coach to use them. You could use them with your family and your friends and your coworkers. And if you lead people in your business, it's probably the most valuable skill you can have today and the way the world works. But until you take the step to learn more about it, you start feeding that appetite, right? What you feed your mind determines your appetite. You start yeah. feeding your mind. Then you're like, wait a second. Now I, now I know I want to coach in this area and not in that area. So what do you do? You go find, more information more input more knowledge in that area what you feed your mind so now you get an appetite even for greater things that's to me that's the danger is we don't start yeah we just say yeah not for me not today but here's the good news is millions of people have suddenly realized that life is valuable we don't know how long it's going to last And while we're here, we want to make a difference. And so this idea of identity shift. Wow, what a powerful concept. You know, one of the phrases I love is up until now. Because people in their head, they say my identity is, yeah, I just do what I did yesterday and I make the best of it. Change it. Just say up until now, my identity. (laughs) Yeah. Up until now, the story, the story I told myself, and you just start changing it. And it's not that, you you know, I want to be a gold medal winner on the, sta- on the stand. That's such a far-off dream. But when you start breaking it down all the way back, so what did that athlete have to do? Well, they had to build a physical foundation of being in good enough shape. Well, you do that over years. You don't do it over weeks. And then they had to learn all those tricks and all that technical stuff that goes with it. You don't do that in weeks. You do that over a long period of time, but you do it one step at a time and
0: you've got to start. Well, a branch that I don't want to miss from what you talked about with calling Tom is somebody hit me with this long time ago and would God on a, on a faith-based aspect, but or, you know, whatever your faith is, but would God call you to something that you are fully capable of and don't need him? That was stuffed in my face one time dang that, that, what a paradigm shift would God call me to something it's almost by proxy of feeling called to do something that it should feel too much like you said you know it, it is more than what you can handle what you' more you're more than what you're capable of and from a faith-based aspect that is what God is there and I just love that yeah would God call me to something that I don't need him for well well no so by proxy it's going to be overwhelming so I shouldn't be Dismayed when I, like Moses, take action on that calling, lead the people out of Egypt, and there's the red Sea it doesn't make sense to me it's not supposed to make sense <laughs> to me and you know, Tom, with this envisioning um, it brought to mind I was talking with some of my older adult kids not long ago, and that we look at let's take a job, let's say that somebody's looking at, at, at going after a job, and we so often don't envision what's it gonna really be like doing that job. We look at the pay, the benefits, the position, the the credibility of the company, whatnot, but we don't look at you where am I gonna sit? Who am I gonna sit by? Who am I gonna be in the room with? Who am I gonna be managed by? Who's my boss? What's the data? Because as you know, somebody comes in, you're all excited about the pay and the position and you're, you know, telling everybody you're so grateful. And then 60, 90 days later, Man, if the environment is not good, all that stuff takes a back seat. But we don't do that. We, again, don't envision. And that's what we're talking about with our goal, which to some people may take that goal that they think. And if they really go there, they may realize, gosh, I don't know that I actually want that. And that's awesome too. Don't waste the next year and all the effort to go there. But to go there and go, gosh, can I see myself there? And to start envisioning that. And that's the kind of thing of putting a, you know, take a picture of that environment and put it on your, bathroom window or your rearview mirror of your car or whatnot to where you're looking at it every day. You're getting a little more comfortable, a little more familiar. It's becoming a little more reality. Uh, And these days in the world that we are in today, different than when your dad, Zig Ziglar was around, we can take about any perspective of a goal, any vision of a goal. And we can see it. We can go on YouTube and find a depiction of it, a documentary about it, an expose on it or whatever. And we can actually see what's it like to be there. What would it look like? And can I see myself? Can I, can I, as having grown up in a family where my parents never made more than $50,000 a year, I've been in the workforce for 10 years making $50,000 a year. I'm on fire to you know, 10, 10x my income, like whatever uh, somebody is talking about. Can I really see myself having that much money? What would that feel like? What would I do with it? How would I think about myself? That's a huge jump for somebody. And I think it's a deterrent and people just sit spinning their wheels or not taking action uh, or they go about it wrong because they haven't really done that. And if they can get comfortable with that, that's a, that's big medicine. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and my discussion with Tom Ziegler on how we shift our identity, as Anthony Trucks says, to be the type of person who achieves the goals and desires we want to achieve. We'll be right back. Big medicine. There was a,
1: uh, a, uh, a thought tool and the thought tool was, let's just say you had uh, one group of people who were used to. you know getting government support they live in government housing the neighborhood is is you know trashed and wiped out and then there's another group of people who are you know they live in a upper middle class well kept well maintained you know every yard's mowed you know all the fences are painted it's the white picket fence scenario and you you switched them like one day you just transplanted everybody changed places right? All the people in, in the lower income moved over to all the houses in the h- higher income and vice versa. And they were given enough money to maintain the facility that they were in. If you went back and visited those neighborhoods in three months, what would they look like? Would, would the lower income neighborhood look in disarray and trashy and, and weeds everywhere? Or would it be tidied up? And would the high end neighborhood would it look exactly the same as it did before, or would it have degraded a little bit? And so, what's the difference? Is it the money? Is it the loc? Is it the geography? Is it the niceness of the stuff, or is it the vision of the way people identified and saw themselves? It's that one, isn't it? Yeah. It's the way people see themselves. So, if you see yourself. Uh, regardless of your income, right? If you see yourself living in a clean, tidy place to the best of your ability, it's going to be clean and tidy, and it doesn't how many that matter how many square feet it is. It's going to be, you know, neat. And, and Dad often talked about how growing up, uh, he wore hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs of hand-me-downs, and his mom sewed all of their stuff and and fixed it. And he said, but you know what? Every single day, the house was spotless and everybody went to school clean and all of our clothes and everything was clean because that was the way it was. And they were going through the depression, single mom, uh, you know, 12 kids and you just do what you do. But the mindset was, hey, we we look out after each other. We're clean. We take care of what we have and we work hard. And over time, we're going to, you know, It's going to work out. That's a different identity, a different belief, a different way of looking at it. And so if it's not the money, if it's not the geography, if it's not the size of the house, it has to be the
0: identity. Yeah. I, I like that perspective, Tom. And when we think about that and I can I'm trying to think of a movie. It seems like i've I've seen this multiple times, but I can't come up with the name of one, but where you have somebody who wants to make that shift in their identity, in their circumstances, and they do. They go out and they buy the expense ever, the best they can suit and put that on and start feeling, what does that feel like? Or the, you know, the nice dress and the heels or whatnot. And we're used to that one, though. I've also seen the need for it in a seemingly converse way where you have somebody who has been in that corporate world, that executive world in the suit and tie in the dress and the, in the blazer and whatnot. And they have a dream for a different lifestyle. Doesn't mean it's a income. Uh, doc, it may be an income increase as a business owner, as an artist or or whatnot. But can they do that? Can they get used to waking up in the mornings and their dress is whatever they want it to be? It can be jeans. It can be shorts and flip-flops. It can be, you know, dress, whatever it is in charge of their own time, calling their own shots, making their own decisions. Can they really see themselves doing it that way? So your idea of, of, uh, you know, kind of a, kind of the fake it till you make it aspect of it, or just try it on, try it on for size. Does this fit? Can you see yourself there? How does it change your psychology even? And there are so many, it's kind of going back to my aspect of go hang with those people is to, yeah, go dress the part. If you're thinking of being in that world, go test drive a Porsche. You could do these things.
1: It's, you know, there's, there's so many studies on it. Um, I remember Back in the day when we had school programs and we had the ICANN course and we put that into different schools. And that was around attitude, behavior and character. You know, the ABCs of, gosh, what's my attitude towards my school and and how it's going to help prepare me for the future? What's my behavior? How do I treat other people? What's my character? How do I make my decisions? And one of the studies that was really popular back then is that they they had picture day. Remember picture day when everybody and mm-hmm. the, the photographer came and all the kids got together and they did the, the, the one-on-one picture and then the class picture. And they noticed something funny uh, tests on picture day. The average test score was higher. That's weird. And there was less vandalism or truancy or fights or any of the behavioral problems on picture day. well, that's kind of weird. Could it be that the image we have of ourselves when we look in the mirror is how we're going to behave? And if we're on our best, right, if we're on our best, then we're going to behave a little bit differently. So, you know, dad said this, the way you see the future, that determines your thinking today. And your thinking today determines your performance today. And your performance today creates the future. And so what you feed your mind determines your appetite. So how do you see your future? And so I like to say, okay, whatever our identity is today, you know, whatever is lifting us up or holding us back, that's just what it is. Yeah. What do we want our identity to be? What's the future we want? Yeah. And then how do we how do we become the person that automatically creates that future? Well, when we start choosing that input into our mind, then our appetite is we want more of that. Mm-hmm. Just like that study on kale that I talk about where they took people who didn't like kale and they had them do a hundred times a day. I love kale. <laughs> Within three weeks, they were craving kale. I mean, yeah. that's just that's crazy, yeah. but that's the way the mind works. And so what's the identity we want to become? And we've got to, and, and this is what I really like about uh, the, the identity shift idea is a lot of times we say, Oh, I want to be a gold medal winner, or I want to own my own business, or I, I want to have a million dollars and no debt. Right. And so we start focusing on the stuff and we forget, wait a second, what I should be focusing is on the person who automatically creates the stuff. Yeah. And so when we shift our identity, those other things become reality. And, the re- and, and I believe it's, you got to have both. You got to have this yeah. vision of the future that you want to create. And then right next to it is, okay, what does the person look
0: like who's going to create that? Exactly. And then how do I become that person? Exactly. You, you made me think of in the matrix, the first matrix, if anybody's ever seen that, there's a point where Neo takes the blue pill and he's enlightened, right? Let's say, but he ends up in this construct and he, he looks down at himself or sees himself in a mirror and looks very different than he had beforehand. He said, gosh, wh- why do I look this way? And the character Morpheus said, that's your residual self-image. That's how you see yourself. And that's what we're talking about here that we're f- significantly limited by how we see ourselves if we can't see ourselves better. And I, a long time ago, gosh, it was in, in the early days of this show, I had Lori Harder on the show. She's a fitness, or she was a fitness personality and is now a, just a, a big name in personal development and, and self help. And that's part of her story. She came from a sedentary family, very ill health, very overweight. They got a hold, she and her sister got a hold of some workout tapes and started playing them. And she started doing them at some point, but then she said, I could just kind of see myself. I could see myself doing that. I started feeling different and seeing different. And she, of course, became very different. I know somebody personally, and so I'm not going to name their name, who in the same light, uh, and this person's morbidly obese. And I said, is, uh, they came to a goal many years ago of, I want to change my reality. I want to lose weight. I want to see myself. And she actually said, as the pint size powerhouse, I want to call myself that as years went on and up to today, it never happened. And she, she never was able to see herself different. She was never able to see herself doing things differently than she did to get herself to the place that she was. And again, to see those polarized aspects, and it, it reminds me of the story that your dad so famously told, and I actually have, I'm using, using it in my book, of Victor and the last name, Sabriakov, I believe. Did I say it right? Yeah, something like something that.
1: Like Sari Brockhoff. Seri
0: Brockhoff. Okay, if you look him up, the guy was, the, the, the real fast story, he was labeled a dunce in school. Said he wouldn't amount to much. He spent years, like a decade, more than that, doing menial work until, lo and behold, at some job, they had him do a test. Son of a gun, the guy has a dramatically high IQ. Life changes. He goes on and become, has patents, multiples under his name, ends up as the chairman or president of the Mensa Society. If you don't know the Mensa Society, you have to have an IQ over 135 or is it higher than that? Something like that maybe one forty five one thirty five or one forty five okay like that. higher than mine i I believe uh and so he's and so he is, and you go back to that time, and what changed on that fateful day he took the test nothing he is just somebody told him, hey buddy guess what sorry, you're not a dunce, you're a genius, oh, and so the next day he's little by little started doing things differently. I wish that would all happen to us, but generally it's not, you're not going to have somebody come across and say, Hey, we, uh, actually been auditing you and we figured out you are X. You're going to have to say, this is what I want to be. And I and have to be able to see that yourself. Cause somebody's not going to come along. I wish we could, we should start a business doing that. Just knocking on doors and making stuff up and say, Hey, we've been auditing you and we figured out you're a genius. Go forth and prosper. Yeah. Gosh. You know, uh, Dad talked
1: in in his series called Changing the Picture. It was part of the How to Stay Motivated series. we got to change the picture we have of ourselves to what we want to be, who we want to become. And he tells the Tom Hartman story. Yeah. And just the thumbnail, he was well over 100 pounds overweight. He ends up at a Zig Ziglar live event. He's embarrassed because he sits and it takes two chairs for him to sit in. That's how big he is. He borrows money to get the cassette tapes, the audio cassette tapes. And then he basically mainlines them. He he listens to them every waking moment. And after a month or so, he's got his goal. He knows what he's going to weigh. He goes in and he buys a suit on layaway, like 12 sizes smaller than he is. And then he tells the story of being in the grocery store. And a five-year-old little girl yells out, mama, look at that fat man. (laughs) Because, you know, kids, they can't help themselves. And so he says that he turns around to look to see who she's looking at. And then he realized it was him. Hmm. And that's when he knew he lost the weight because he already saw himself as
0: That is significant, Tom. I had a friend many years ago, similar story. Uh, Again, uh, we're back on weight, but significantly uh, overweight. And he said, I'm going to change my paradigm, change my life. And he signed up for a 5K a couple months away. But the cooler thing, what more significant thing was he signed up for a marathon, like a year, year and a half down the road, signs up for a marathon. And he not only did that, but he invested in it. I think he registered, reserved the hotel, bought the plane tickets, uh, which I don't know if you can even buy them that far ahead these days, but he did those things. And then the greater one is he told everybody that he had done that, including me and Awesome. awesome. Yeah. And all of a sudden at lunchtime at his office, he's going on a walk. So he tells everybody, he testifies to it. He has accountability. Now he's going on a walk. Next thing you know, he's being joined by more and more people to go on this walk. I mean, it's like a movie scene, you know, it's like Forrest Gump takes off running and all of a sudden he has this whole tribe uh, following him. But that was so significant to yeah the accountability and little by little, he got more comfortable with that. And Tom, that is, I mean, that is still one that's one of the most elementary messages its where you started off with the input that we put in, but you start listening to Zig Ziglar self talk cards or tapes and CDs or somebody else, whoever it is. And they're talking in day one, they're talking about your capability, your capacity, your ability, and you're listening to it. And you don't really believe it. You are what you know you are today. And you listen to it the next day and it's not much different. A week later, you find yourself, it's just, that's a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable couple weeks later, a month, I mean, at some point it's going to depend on your timeline. You're all of a sudden you're nodding with it and you're believing it. And it really is. And we don't repeat this kind of stuff. We take in new information constantly. We don't take the time to repeat it. I was just looking at some stuff with Seth Godin lately and he's the consummate story. He told it here on the show when we had him on once. And it was the story of listening to Secrets of Closing the Sale, which if you, if you don't know that's that, that, uh folks it is so much more than just about sales it is about life and he listened to that something like 70 80 times till the the old cassette tape broke and he had to buy another set of them and he cites that as one of the primary things that shifted his life to become the Seth Godin that we know today as one of America's most influential business people
1: absolutely and i think i think i remember behind the scenes uh he told me he said when he made that jump to go and start what he started, uh, he didn't have an inner circle of believers around him, hmm. right? He was like a lot of people. They have a vision, they have a dream, they know they want to do it, but because of circumstances, because of, of you're doing something unique or hasn't been done before, or you know you've lost contact with business relationships or whatever, you're kind of going lone wolf. Yeah. Right. And so so many, and those are the stories I love are the ones that don't have the support network or don't have the family that has uh, role models and case studies of getting this stuff done. Right. They're like, you're the first one. You're the pioneer. And so Seth made a decision. Gosh, I'm going to go find my own support. And it came in the form of a book and an audio cassette program and everything else he could learn. So uh, one of the things I love about Seth is he is uh, just incredibly curious. Mm. And so and everybody listening, gosh, if you could, you know, if you wanted to take on an identity that'll take you places, just say, I love being curious. Mm -hmm. I love being curious. I'm a curious person because curiosity, when you start, oh, I want to know more about that. And you start seeking out people who know more about that. And you just ask curious questions. It's amazing the doors that get opened Mm -hmm. that allow you to see a future you couldn't have seen if you didn't ask those questions. Oh, I thought you had to have this education or degree in order to do that. (laughs) Oh, no. Most people who succeed here, they don't have that. Cause they get trapped into a certain logic or a certain way of thinking, which isn't what you need in order to innovate, right? You yeah. need something else. You need curiosity.
0: You are listening to the Ziegler show and my discussion with Tom Ziegler on how we shift our identity as Anthony trucks says to be the type of person who achieves the goals and desires we want to achieve. We'll be right back. You know, Tom, you said something there and reminded me, and I, I might have mentioned this in the recent interview with Anthony Trucks when we talked, but there are some people like Ben Hardy sticks out and a lot of folks that I know who they go when they go back and talk about their significant life change, upgrading their identity, their identity shift. They spend a lot of time reading biographies. I don't hold that out as a holy grail. It's not something I do a lot of but it's interesting how influential that can be in people's lives. And you look at that and you go, oh, they read the biographies and, and learned success principles of these people. I, I don't think that's the primary value. I think it was seen as you, as you read about the intricacies of somebody's life, of Abraham Lincoln's life, of, of whoever it may be. And you read the intricacies and, and realize it was just a regular person. They were nothing special. And if anything, they may have had less going for them and more going against them than you do, than we do, than I do. And to read that again, makes it more palatable. I know when I really first in my, and I grew up on Zig Ziglar messages, but in my adult years, when I really started pursuing it myself, really, and, and even to this day, one of my favorite books is the, is the, 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 bio, the autobiography and hearing just the reality of of so much of Zig's journey and of course if you never got to hear him if you did get to hear him speak that's often what he led off with was part of his story that when you hear it it's really hard not to accept what he's saying because there's few people that are gonna have had it harder than what he did to start out and it just is so Again, palatable, digestible to do that. So, I mean, there, you know, this is another thing along with that aspect of rubbing shoulders with people who have achieved what you want to read about people's journey from anonymity, from zero to hero in essence, and to realize, man, they just, they just did the work. They had the doubts that you did. They were Seth Godin, who was in a bad place. He, wasn't, he didn't come out of the womb a successful guy. Uh, He had some heartache along the way. He had doubt along the way. He didn't see himself there. And then somewhere he had an identity shift. And that's what we're talking about.
1: Yep. And gosh, a a turning point book for me was uh, The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Mm. And in that, he did a lot of neuroscience, you know, neuro research to say, golly, where does talent come from? What what creates a top performer, a champion? What, what is it? Is it just talent? Is it luck? Is it environment? You know, is it um, chance? What What is it that creates it? And there's a section in this book, and it's on an identity. And basically what happens is so many people who excel to the top level, they have a like a, a a moment in time, a turning point where they look at someone like reading an auto, like reading a biography yeah. or meeting someone in, in that they admire and respect. And then that someone or that biography says, yeah, I, I failed a bunch of times. Yeah. This was hard for me. Yeah. I, I had to go through calculus, you know, three different times before I, and so what happens is, that person who says, I could never do that, they look at their hero, and because their hero has scars and challenges and they had failures, they that identity connects. And then that role model, that hero says, here's how you get there. And because they identify with them, they try it like 30% longer. They, they do what that person recommends. And so this is why uh, some experts who are you know, called geniuses, they don't have legacy, right? They, Because nobody identifies with them. Everybody says, wow, you're really smart. I could never do that. And then others who have this high level of performance, they have amazing legacy. They have protégés. They have dozens and dozens of people who follow in their footsteps. Mm-hmm. And it usually boils down to, they tell the people who they're who they're mentoring, I struggled too, right? I had a hard time too. And then that turns it loose and they say, well, if he can't, I can't. And you can look in football, like you can look at uh, Tom Landry's coaching tree versus uh, Vince Lombardi, both great coaches. One of them has hundreds of assistants and head coaches and their coaching tree. The other one I think has a couple, but both of them are fantastic coaches. Yeah. But it's how they connected, how they shared their identity and, and led the people under them to
0: believe, Hey, wait a second. I can do that. I can shift. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got to end then on a coach story. It's my own. Back when I first started coaching long time ago, I, I started off at a hundred dollars an hour discounted to 60. I did a little package and got my first client. I'll never forget it. It was an author got my first client, but in my head, I still thought, okay, I'm kind of a hundred dollars. I only got 60 bucks an hour. This is back when I did hourly. I don't, which I don't do anymore, but I thought it was kind of based on $100 discount. So I'm a $100 guy. And I remember slowly increasing. And as a new coach, it's always uh, insecure to do that. And I remember the first time it was it a was big bump. I did a package that contained so many hours. and It was basically at $300 an hour, which to me was kind of like, okay, I'm getting towards a decent lawyer rate at this point. And the, I had somebody then hit the buy button and boom. I got the money. It's like five grand or 10 grand or something like that for the package. And I realized I was sitting there kind of thinking, looking at myself and realized that I just got paid at that rate. I'm a $300 an hour person. And I realized that I'm thinking that I haven't even done the work yet to necessarily prove it, but I had enough credibility that somebody paid me that. And I just changed the numbers, you know, add a zero, add a hundred, whatever it was. I just changed the numbers. That was it. And of course I did that, got great testimony. And now I'm legitimately a three hundred one one person, I'm a $300 person. And again, we're looking for that testimony. We always are looking for, it's so hard to see ourselves with that identity shift. That's what we're talking about here. And it does take, you know, again, back to events, you've got the coaching summit coming up and that is a great way to go rub shoulders with people entering, if you're a coach, to do that. But whatever you want to do, go find a place, go to an event, hire a coach, uh, and follow all these other things. So many ways to get the input to work on our identity shift. And it's ongoing. It's ongoing. We all have our, like you said, Tom, we have our, our incremental things. We, it's hard to go from, from one to 100 in one fell swoop. We generally tend to go. By ones, maybe twos, fives, tens, whatever it is, but it is incremental. And it's like that for all of us. We've got to be able to see ourselves in a different place, man. Thanks for the insight, Tom. Awesome, brother. Well, this is just a tremendous perspective to bring to all our aspirations. Instead of looking for the next five steps or seven keys to whatever, look at yourself in the mirror and consider your ability to see yourself actually achieving the end result in whatever endeavor you're looking at. And if you can't, this is the first place to start. And we've given some great resources to take take action on. Uh, Coming up next in Ziegler Show episode 975, I bring our identity shift expert back, Anthony Trucks, to talk about his habits for success. He brings me a new concept of considering our active and passive habits and a wealth of ideas and concepts as he's just an incredibly intentional guy, which you probably figured out by now.